sure. I mean, we, I think we all agree that we have an imperfect system. I don't think anywhere in the world there's a perfect system. And when we look at the history and we look at some of the challenges we've had as a society, we can simply, we can understand why our data sets may be problematic. So it really now is about how do we move forward? You know, we, we, we can't change the past, but we can certainly impact the future. So how do we move forward to ensure that we don't create those harms? And we have got to think about the ways in which we can add more diversity and be more inclusive. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, as they discuss all things ORAU through interviews with our experts who provide innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, how we're impacting an ever-changing world, and our commitment to our community. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Happy Wednesday and welcome to another episode of Further Together, the ORU podcast. I'm Michael Holtz, your host, and I'm thrilled and honored, I have to say, to have with me today Renee Cummings, who is data activist in residence at the University of Virginia. I happen to be listening in on a data science webinar that ORU hosted um, a couple of weeks ago. And Renee presented on basically what she does in terms of what does it mean to be a data activist in residence and ethical artificial intelligence, all of the, all of the ethics and responsibility around data science. And I thought her presentation was riveting and wanted to have Renee on the podcast to chat one-on-one about what she does and why what she does is so important to the world of data science. So Renee Cummings, welcome to Further Together. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me. I'll say it's certainly an honor and a pleasure to be with you. So tell me what it means to be a data activist in residence. Well, one of the easiest ways to think of it, and it's what I say uh, continuously, is that a data activist is the conscience of the data scientist. Okay, that makes perfect sense. So in your presentation in December, you talked about a number of things, but, you know, certainly being the conscience of the data scientist, but you talked about things related to ethical artificial intelligence and in particular focusing on criminal justice and artificial intelligence and diversity and inclusion and um, with a particular focus I think on facial recognition and really kind of all of the data that's collected on all of us all the time. Um, Talk about why all of that, that is so important. I know that's a kind of a big open lead and that's fine. It's but. okay, it's fine. So, so just looking at the concept of conscience and the fact that science without conscience could be the damnation of a society. 
And the data scientist is probably our newest version of a scientist. And our data products, particularly new and emerging technologies, such as artificial intelligence, are legacy technologies. And when you are thinking of the legacy that you are going to leave, you've got to think of the ways in which that legacy is going to impact humanity. So as a data activist in residence, I explore the relationship between data and society. And the relationship that we have right now is one of great contention because this is a new area and it's creating new histories, but it's creating new histories using old histories and that is the challenge that we are seeing within the context of data science. Because what we are realizing is that data has a history and that history is a history that is haunted by many of the tragedies and the trauma of our past. So when we think of data in particular in the United States, our data is correlated with a history of colonization and a history of oppression and a history of enslavement. And all of those histories are now baked into our data sets. So when we think about criminal justice, we think about what are the databases we are using? And we've got to think about that data. And we've got to ask ourselves, how raw is that data? Because the concept of raw data is a fallacy in itself. The concept of science as being objective is one of the greatest fallacies ever in the history of mankind. The fallacy, again, of thinking of data within the context of numbers don't lie. These are the challenges we are bringing to new and emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence. So as a data activist, my role is activism, it's advocacy and it's evangelism, but it's also deconstructing, disrupting and getting behind the data and looking at fact and looking at fallacy and removing fallacy from the fact. So when we think of something like facial recognition, we have realized that it is a technology or a suite of technologies that have overpromised, particularly within the realm of criminal justice. What it has revealed is that when it comes to, uh, when it comes to uh, looking at the technology and its impact on reducing crime, it has had no real impact. When you think of it as uh, a technology that has been purported uh, to predict uh, a particular kind of behavior or to apprehend a particular kind of suspect, what we have seen is not only overpromising, but misidentifying of people of color, of, of black people in, in particular, of women or anyone who identifies as a woman. So we realize that these technologies are promising, but they're not delivering. And within the space between promise and delivery, it is negatively impacting the lives of individuals, in particular individuals in marginalized, marginalized and uh, vulnerable communities. You used, in your presentation, you used the story of George Rod, or sorry, Glenn Rodriguez, right? Who yes. essentially had to advocate for himself to fight the data 
overcome the biases in the data that was collected against him to basically get himself free. And, and that's a critical uh, aspect of ethical AI, because what Mr. Rodriguez had to do, he had to face off with the black box. And mm -hmm. we know the black box is where all the secrets, quote unquote, are held when it comes to an algorithm. And many of the uh, designers and the developers of the technology would say our black box is our proprietary rights. That's our trade secret. We can't share that. But one of the, the greatest foundations of our criminal justice system is the opportunity to face our accuser. And if that accuser is an algorithm, then you've got to be able to come face to face with that black box and to be able to look deep inside it to see what are the challenges. So artificial intelligence and that whole approach to uh, bringing an ethical approach to artificial intelligence is about trust, is about trusting these algorithms. And one of the things that I speak a lot about within the context of diversity, equity and inclusion in AI would be accountability and explainability and transparency when it comes to creating responsible technology. So Mr. Rodriguez, who did his time and who was an exemplary uh, member of, of the community in which he was incarcerated, could not understand why he was not being released until it dawned upon him that the risk assessment tool uh, was really overpredicting what his risk would be to society and to public safety when he leaves. And it's a challenge that we have seen in the criminal justice system with the design of algorithmic tools or algorithmic decision-making systems that have been over-predicting recidivism or reoffending. And many of these algorithms have been so opaque that they have been frustrating due process. So mm -hmm. some of the work that I do as a data activist would be bringing that level of consciousness and understanding to the ways in which algorithms can misbehave, as well as bringing the requisite levels of due diligence to the developers and the designers and data scientists who are deploying these technologies and understanding that due process and duty of care are critical elements of the design, development, and deployment of these new and emerging technologies. And understanding that if we don't understand the kinds of risks inherent in data, what we are creating are negative impacts that may be so difficult for us to reverse. And one of the questions that I always ask is why use a new technology such as artificial intelligence to create those old divisions and old disparities and old inequities that have kept us divided and created so much pain in our society? I mean, how do you get, I guess, behind the data? How do you get to the place where, I mean, I know Mr. Rodriguez had to, you know, fight, as you say, the black box, but not everyone has the understanding, you know, as he did, that that's what he needed to do. He needed to break the algorithm, so to speak. So how do you, how does one, whether it's you as a data activist or as the data creator, collector, how do you get behind the data so that we can 
fix this? Well, I think uh, this is uh, one way that I've got to really credit the University of Virginia School of Data Science with having that uh, understanding that you really explore the dimensions of diversity, equity, and inclusion in data. Data activism is critical to that mm. conversation and to be bold enough to create the position of data activists in residence with the appreciation that the disparities that have continued to find themselves into our data sets must be discontinued. So it comes back to looking at ethical negligence and it begins with data collection. It begins with the understanding that that entire process is one built on power and privilege. Mm -hmm. Because when you think about data, the quality, how it's classified, annotation, interpretation, you've got to look at the ways in which bias, prejudice, and systemic racism find themselves, you know, just right there in the middle of the design, uh, the designations, the definitions, the deployment of this technology. So it comes back to looking at how something, let's say, like enslavement of African people has impacted the data today of people of color in the United States. Mm -hmm. Or you can look at how it was classified, the data. Who did the classifying of the data? You may think about the annotation and the social forces that impact that data collection process or the analysis. Who's doing the interpretation? You know, what are we thinking about? what's lost in translation, or, or just simply, what are we using this data to do? We know historically we've used data to punish the poor. We have used data to punish certain communities. We have used data to continue doing something as, as destructive as redlining, now doing that in a digital space. There is digital redlining. There's something now within the realm of criminal justice and policing called digital arrests and using geofencing and geolocation warrants and, and digital subpoenas and, and applying algorithms to policing and creating uh, what I call the digital chokehold. So the chokehold that took the life of George Floyd is now being created in a digital space with algorithms. And we've got to push back. And we've got to really think about what we are doing because I think uh, for me, I'm very passionate about AI. I'm passionate about what AI can do for society just in about every field, you know, mm -hmm. from healthcare to communications to education. And now because of this pandemic where we need to have contactless experiences, but yet be in communication more now than ever, we are going to see AI being used more than ever, but we've got to be so conscious. We've got to be so vigilant of what we are doing. And that is why an ethical approach to artificial intelligence and new and emerging technologies is so critical at this moment. You talk about how we've carried, you know, essentially we've carried these biases through centuries of data collection, ultimately. Um, and, you know, it's so, social determinants of health are impacted. In, income is impacted. Food access, um, healthcare access, all of it is impacted. Is it a function of the data collectors and the, the system itself being 
aware of what those biases may be. And I know you talked about, you know, who's collecting the data, who's doing the analysis of those specific individuals, those or those groups of people being aware of those biases and ensuring that it's not continue to be built into the system or added to the system, making them conscious of how they're collecting data and, and well, analyzing it? It's sure. I mean, we, I think we all agree that we have an imperfect system. I don't think anywhere in the world there's a perfect system. And when we look at the history and we look at some of the challenges we've had as a society, we can simply, we can understand why our data sets may be problematic. So it really now is about how do we move forward? You know, we, we, we can't change the past, but we can certainly impact the future. So how do we move forward to ensure that we don't create those harms? And we have got to think about the ways in which we can add more diversity and be more inclusive and build responsible technology. So I think the philosophy, particularly of the School of Data Science at the University of Virginia is that we've got to pay attention to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And how do we do that? We bring a multidisciplinary approach to the ways in which we look at data. So the data scientist is a critical aspect of the design and the development and the deployment. But that data scientist must make room at the development table for other ideas and for a more creative approach to the development of these technologies. So we need the criminologists, we need the psychologists, the sociologists, the social workers, the educators, uh, the, the, the health uh, practitioners. We need to bring all of these into the space to understand that what we are developing is going to have mass impact. And we want to ensure that we bring that diversity in there. We want to ensure that we are able to ask those tough questions and uh, not be afraid of some intellectual challenge or some intellectual confrontation. Because if we don't do that, what we get in the end would be a crisis as we have seen in many of the big tech companies that have deployed technologies that have been deemed bias or prejudice or racist or just packed with uh, systemic uh, uh, racism. And we don't wanna do that. So a critical aspect of this legacy technology would be community engagement, stakeholder engagement, interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary thinking, and just broadening the ways in which we are willing to engage in the design stage of these technologies. So it's about building a better future or future-proofing our technology to ensure that what we do does not create additional harms in society and some of the harms that we have created, how can we use this technology to either reverse those harms or change the negative trajectory the technology could be on? That ultimately sounds like the dream, right? I mean, to A, bring everyone together, you know, get that diversity and inclusion in the data collection, but also undo I guess reverse, but then make sure that 
as we move forward, we're not continuing to carry that, those biases, those, um, the negative, I guess, impulses with us as we move forward. Um, it's a lot of work. Well, it's a lot but of work. But it's critical work. It exactly, and it has to begin sometime. So within uh, that space at the University of Virginia, the School of Data Science, I mean, I was thrilled when I saw the position actually advertised. I was like, well, this is the dream, you know, this is the dream job that I've been thinking about. No, I'm a criminologist and criminal mm-hmm. psychologist and a therapeutic jurisprudence specialist. So I've spent the last pretty much 15 years looking at ways in which we can reduce violence, reduce homicide, reduce things like gun and gang violence, and ways in which we can use uh, some of the law enforcement strategies that we create to really enhance communities and change the trajectories of lives in our underserved and high needs communities. So my focus as a law enforcement professional really has been ways in which we can build better communities and ways in which we can empower and enhance the lives of individuals. And I've worked a lot with juveniles and of course a lot with individuals who have been incarcerated. So, and I have done a lot of training internationally. So then I found myself now at the intersection of AI and criminal justice, because I was thinking of ways in which we could use this technology to enhance the work that we do. Now, spending a lot of time in big data policing and looking at the negative impacts of big data and the the, the deployment or the application of big data to policing and the fact that we were just using uh, these technologies to over-police or to continue the over-policing of, of communities and looking at the ways in which surveillance technologies like facial recognition are now being deployed in already marginalized communities to further disenfranchise individuals. And, and this is why, for me, activism is about bringing that awareness to communities as well. And I really love the fact that Uh, UVA, the School of Data Science, is committed to having that level of community engagement because, I mean, I've only been there since October and I've had the opportunity to meet so many dynamic uh, groups within the community and to look at the kinds of approaches the university is taking from the uh, uh, center of of equity uh, to the, the kinds of academic talent that I'm getting the opportunity now to work with to build a public interest tool that I'm working on. It really is a great opportunity. But as you said, the work, it's critical work and it has to begin somewhere. And I think what we are seeing right now because of the kind of ethical challenges and ethical missteps that are being made in big tech is that many are starting to realize that not only do we need that ethical conscience within the the C-suite, but we've got to be committed to it. And it's not about ethics dressing or window dressing with ethics or uh, just creating a scenario to make it look as though we're doing something or creating a framework or creating some sort of professional standard to say that we have it, but really an honest commitment to building a better society by recognizing the past mistakes and making a commitment not to repeat them. Using your experience with criminal justice and data science in a world where we have situations like George Floyd in Minneapolis and, you know, so many others, as calls are being made to reform the criminal justice system, it feels like we're at a critical time in our country for exactly what you're talking about to be implemented. 
You're quite correct. And this is why for me, uh, UVA has such a critical role to play because I always go back to what happened in Charlottesville a few <laughs> years ago and how that impacted society. And now UVA is in a position to really spark the thinking behind the ways in which we could use data to reimagine policing or the ways in which we can use data to include our communities in designing law enforcement strategies and bringing equity to the design space or to the relationships between communities and law enforcement. And it's about empowering the communities with the understanding of how powerful their data could be or is already in any particular situation. So for me, I like to, when I think of communities, I, I think of communities within the context of producers of data, not consumers of data. And what we have seen with many communities is that our data is being monetized and it's often being weaponized against us. And this is why I am so passionate about data rights. You know, we've been through many movements, social movements and political movements. I mean, human rights, civil rights, we have had disability rights, we have had gay rights. And I think right now we've got to think about data rights as mm -hmm. the next big movement. Meaning that we own and understand our data. And meaning and that it, we understand, yeah. The implications of the data, our rights, our responsibilities, the whole concept of duty of care and due process and due diligence and bringing the regulation and where we can't have the regulation, bringing the vigilance, all of these things are required because you're a data citizen. And one of the things that I speak about is the fact that our data is now part of our ancestry. Our data is our ancestor. When you are looking at the ways in which data is being used in finance, in credit, uh, in education. And what we are also seeing for me, one of the things that I see is how in our data, in many of our marginalized communities, our data transmits trauma. Uh, for many individuals, it transmits the lack of access, the lack of opportunity because of the, those data sets. So how do we reverse that? And how do we bring equity to the ways in which we make decisions based on data? And when we think about data, we're just seeing the numbers, but what are the stories behind the numbers? And one of the things that I have realized is that many times data would tell misleading narratives. And I think the role of a data activist and what the School of Data Science at University of Virginia has realized is that we need to rewrite some of those narratives. We need to change you know, the, the concept and the context or bring a, a greater appreciation for the context in which the data is being used or has been formulated. So you know, it's, this is a great conversation and, and I just so wish that I can have more of these conversations in our communities where the conversation has got to be robust and it has got to be rigorous and sustained so we can bring the kind of understanding so people could understand, wait a minute, you know, I have rights when it comes to my data beyond privacy and security. There are other things that I need to think about and how in the ways in which my data is being used. Right, and ultimately for everyone who's using that data to understand that that data isn't just numbers. It's not just locations. It's people. 
Exactly. Right? There are individuals behind that data. And those are the people who are impacted by the criminal justice system who or by any system by the healthcare don't system, have by well, finance say, yeah. yeah but who don't have access to healthcare who don't have you know can't get a loan for their house or mm-hmm. you know whatever um whatever the case may be that there are people there it's not we're all we're not all just numbers on a map exactly basically. exactly and that's what comes back to being the conscience of the, the data scientist, for that data scientist to understand. When you're building a legacy technology, you've got to think about the, the cultural context, the social, the economic, the political. All of these things are critical. And it's just not the numbers, but it's the big story behind those numbers. And sometimes it is a painful story that needs to be recognized. Right. Renee, I have to tell you that in a year where we've had, you know, not only this pandemic and understanding that people of color are far more impacted by the pandemic than from both illness and death rates and being on the first front lines and, you know, working in the grocery stores and, you know, all of those things, plus the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, you know, Ahmaud Arbery situations and the racial unrest, how tough this year has been, this conversation gives me hope. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. That that things can change. And it's a function of not only the, again, the data collectors and the analysis folks understanding and bringing in diverse voices and inclusive voices. But again, for me as a, as the data person for you, as the, you know, the person behind the data, understanding that we have rights to um, know where that data is going. And your work seems critically important at this juncture in our history. Well, thank you so much for saying that. And, and it really it is because we've got to have hope. We've got to be optimistic. And we have probably the most powerful suite of technologies that we have ever had in our history as a society. And we have got to use that technology to create positive impacts in all communities. And this is why we have got to be committed to building inclusive technology to ensuring there is diversity. And the diversity is not only race or gender, it could be access, it could be geography, it could be disability, sexuality, it could be just anything. But we've got to show that appreciation and respect for diversity. And we've we've got to celebrate that. We can't be intimidated by diversity. We can't be fearful of inclusion. We have got to be honest. We have got to have those tough conversations. We've got to prepare for some answers that are going to make us very uncomfortable, but we've got to be committed to a future together. And we've got to ensure that we all share in a future where we can be productive members of our society and where we can all prosper 
on even footing. That's really critical to the ways in which we think about data and society and its long-term impacts. I'm going to leave it right there, Renee. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael. It has been a very enjoyable conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope our, cross, our paths cross in person or online again soon. Definitely. Thanks again to you and your team. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU, and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.